HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca, home of New York's craft cider. I love New York. Plan your getaway at visitithaca.com. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we sit down with nominated James Beard rising chef Anna Castro. Her new Mexican tasting menu restaurant, Lengua Madre, just landed on New York Times' 2021 list of restaurants they are most excited about. We trace her journey from Mexico City to India to New York to Copenhagen and finally New Orleans, where she now calls home. She wants her guests to understand the story of her life as they journey through her dishes, leaving them with a sense of empathy. Then we dig into our archives to pull out a classic performance from Xenia Rubinos from 2013 in anticipation of her critically acclaimed third album. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Palo, 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 se va a bailar. Dale viento al mar en su Si vengo a bailar o el mar 
martes pasado para entregarme. Me pregunto si vengo o el martes pasado para entrevistarme. Te pregunto si vengo hoy o el martes pasado. Te pregunto si vengo hoy arrestarme. Palo, 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 se va a bailar. Dale viento al mar en su paladar. Palo, 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 se va a bailar. Dale viento al mar en su paladar. Tú Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Very excited about today's episode and interview. We have Anna Castro from Lengua Madre of New Orleans. Anna, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, we are going to get into your new incredible restaurant, but we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, you were born in Texas, uh, raised in Mexico City by your grandmother, You've said your grandmother had a huge influence uh, and was crucial in your kind of culinary awakening. Tell me a little bit about how she inspired you, how she inspires you today, and what you learned from her at such an early age. Of course. Well, you know, I came to uh, live with my grandmother uh, when I was about five years old. And up to that point, like my childhood was a little bit like, you know, my mother was like absent. Let's like, let's say that, you know? So I feel like uh, I always like kind of like food for the first five years of my life was like not like a constant as in like you come home from school and there's like a meal waiting for you. So when I came to Mexico City, my grandmother is an extremely like food driven person, you know, and our, our family revolves around food a lot, much like any like, you know, Mexican grandma. So, you know, I was, um, you know, I was like taking aback by that. And uh, I was just completely like hypnotized by it. And every time I wanted to do like, you know, like your chores, I always chose to choose like to help in the kitchen. And my grandma always like um, applauded it and took great interest and joy in like teaching me how to do things and recipes that came from her mother and so on. Um, so, yeah, I, I think my family was crucial really in um, in feeding that curiosity and uh you know, rewarding it with like, like I always say, you know, like my grandpa always like tried to arrange like a little secret visit to like the back of the ice cream shop on Sunday, you know? <laughs> so they really tried to like, um, they really like humored me in it. You know, like my grandpa would be like, yeah, sure. Let's buy this whole fish so you can like poke its eyes or something. <laughs> what were some of the, what were some of the dishes that came down through the generations from, you know, your great grandmother, your great, great grandmother that you learned in your grandmother's kitchen? I think they all revolve those dishes, like the very, like, you know, like the legendary dishes, they all have like a name attached to them. So they're always like, oh, like, remember your aunt Conchita's like green spaghetti and everybody's like oof yeah on conchita's green spaghetti you know like how can we forget you know and and so on you know like or like our great grandmother leonor you know she's like and i think that's like to me how it's like so powerful it's because it's like yeah great grandmother leonor has been literally dead for i'm I'm 32 so grandmother leonor has been like dead for 30 years but we still talk about her pozole so she lives on and I think that like that like power of legacy, 
it's like it's like it 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 like astonished me and it's always like all these dishes are are also always revolving family and holidays so most of the dishes are that were passed on are christmas dishes and um you know like 15 de septiembre and like all the um independence day like for that's the the case with pozoles for the independence day parties and um you know one of my great aunts romeritos with mole and um which i believe in english is called sipweed but it's just like a little it's like a little soft herb braised like kind of like in mole, in mole with shrimp and potatoes and it's fantastic and it's a huge task to make them because you gotta like sort through all of this little imagine they look like tarragon almost so like mm. they have the same structure as tarragon but imagine having to clean 200 pounds of them <laughs> no thank you no thank yeah, you exactly so it's like all of your aunts in the kitchen table with like an infinite pot of coffee and <laughs> for like five hours and like lots of like baked goods and pan dulce and whatnot and just like gossip around the table and the husband of this guy did that and like whatever and so you know like um as a kid you were always kind of, you know you always want to like be with the adults and like be included so it's just like okay we'll let you help but like on the condition that you can't say anything that happens or is said in this room so you know <laughs> you kind of like vow like, you know you vow to silence to secrecy so you know like my family had a lot of little traditions like that so it wasn't just about you know legacy and family and bringing people together it was also just good for the soul of course yeah my grandma's like a very severe woman you know She uh she was a uh, yeah, she she was she, she was all about discipline and rules and everything but as severe as she was you know she she would always like you know she she would like be angry at you and like um you know like ground me and everything but also would be like hey but like did you eat today okay let me make you something you know like so she could be like very very um like a disciplinarian, but she would like her heart would melt to make you a meal. Let's, let's flash forward a little bit. You went to school, you both got a degree in gastronomy and you were at Le Cordon Bleu, which is very systemized, very regimented. What did you pick up from your education and how were you able to fold in your uh, cooking heritage into your new set of skills? Honestly, not at all. Like I have no love for my alma mater. I went there because my dad wanted me to. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, Le Cordon Bleu, I went to the one in Mexico City. And um, yeah, it's just like very Eurocentric, very, very like, you know, like just like the French like brigade system and how did that allow for any like creativity or like it did not. You know, I mean, like, I honestly feel like when I was younger, I was jaded and I thought that like, oh yeah, you know, of course I, 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 I must learn how to make like a ballotine or if not, I'll never be a chef. And it's ridiculous, you know, but like, wow, damn, I was 22. Uh, so like, what did I know? Um, and I thought that like going to the Boku's door would be like the pinnacle of chef dumbness. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, what is like, you know, what is being a chef, whatever. So like, I just kind of like, I do what I do and I try to have fun while doing it and enjoy it. 
And uh, yeah, but no, no love for it, honestly. Like the Eurocentric concept of fine dining, absolutely no love for it. Fine, fair enough. Um, in a in really incredible next term, you headed to India um, to study traditional gastronomy there. What brought you to India? What did you learn there? How long were you there? What's the story? So whenever I finished or was about to finish, like my, you know, my bachelor's degree, they ask you for a certain, the university asks you for a certain amount of hours of an externship to be able to graduate and for you to get your papers and be on your way. And uh, my dad was very insistent of me, like maybe going to Italy. I am half Italian on my mother's side. Um, so, uh, my, my, my dad was very much like, you should really go to like Florence or something like that. And I was just like, eh. And there was something about India that always like, like drew me in, you know, I always like, I really want to learn more about like spices and just like their, their usage, you know, because of course, like Indian food is spicy and Mexican food is spicy. Right. But they're spicy in such different ways. And I was just like, very, like I was young, you know, I think I was when I went to India, I must have been 20 years old. So I was just like very like, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And I was just really like, whoa, I, I want to absorb it all. So I reached out to a organization that did like, like exchange programs with multi, like with like multiple disciplines, you know. So there was like, you know, one of my roommates was there like, doing an externship with like the newspaper. And there was another one taking photos for Doctors Without Borders who came from Montreal from film school and so on. So it was like this um, group of very young people, anywhere from 20 years old to like tops, like 26. And they were all, we were all there for different reasons, but I, um, I landed working with chef Samir Gupta, who was an absolute sweetheart. And he had moved back to India to be with his family we got a restaurant in San Francisco, which I cannot recall its name right now, but I think he cooked at the James Beard house once. Uh, so he was just like a really cool dude. And I reached, you know, like the, I kind of contacted him like by happenstance really. And I was like, Hey, would you mind taking an intern? And like, can I come just like, he had a little cooking school and I was like, can I come like help you? And he was just like, Oh, you're Mexican. You, you speak fluent Spanish. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yes, of course. Come under one condition. You gotta help me translate all of these recipes because I am so interested in how Mexicans like, you know, like handle spice, but different than Indian people. And I was like, Oh my God, we both have the same question. We might answer that question for each other. You know, let's, uh, so I on, let's, up, let's dive into that yeah. for one second and take it aside. Uh, how do the spices get handled differently? What are some of the call outs um, given your education of how Mexican cuisine handles spice and how Indian cuisine handles spice? Well, you know, like, for example, right, in India, like, well, I was also in Rajasthan, who is like, who is like in the, in the desert, like in the very center of the country. And um, there's obviously, since it's a desert, a lot of their um, diet is based on like chickpeas, lentils, and lots of curries, um, paneer, and things like that. But like, wow, their curries are like spicy, but like more spice forward and less chili forward. And um, they all, 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 most of their curries are at least the very traditional ones, you know, like the ones that you would find at your mom's place have like whole spices in them. So like they have, for example, cumin, right, which you call it jira and they use black cumin. So that's kala jira. So like he like taught me the names of spices 
Uh, he took me to the market with him. Uh, and um, yeah, it was just like, it was just incredible. And I in turn helped him be like, oh yeah, you know, like this is like how we use fresh chilies. And we found some similarities on like, for example, like bird eye chili, like for them, like fresh and for us, like serranos in the usage. So we found some similarities there, but not so much as like, you know, sometimes in our dry chiles in Mexico, how we like, decide to like char them to like a crisp all the way until they almost become a little bitter for some certain dishes. So I don't know, it was just like a really collaborative and like eye-opening um, period of my life. And uh, I was there for six months almost. Yeah, it was incredible. I had to, I got to travel a lot. So I went to see South India, which is like very different, you know, like more like fruit base is like so like a green mango and all that stuff oh my god yeah it was it was it was amazing so you graduated and then you uh the next years brought you to back to mexico city and to new york city where you crossed the paths of pretty incredible chefs who were the some of the people you worked with and what were some of the skills and lessons you picked up along the way well i think you know in all my years in new york which were like almost five years you know, I work for some people, I work for the John George group and everything, but I think like my most formative one was when I worked at Betony, uh, which is now closed with uh, Chef Bryce Schumann. But honestly, the two people that were just instrumental in the chef that I am today and the person that I am today and everything is um, was Stefan, I can never pronounce his last name. If he hears me, he's going to laugh at me. Ilichniki, uh, just an extremely disciplined and organized guy, and Chef Kenneth Fong, who right now is the chef of Noma. <laughs> so he's like, he's they, they were both my mentors, and they were both, you know, in a very high-stress environment and in a very difficult kitchen to work in. They were always fair to me. They were always supportive of me. Um, I remember Kenneth always telling me, you know, like, Anna, you have to like harness all this energy that you're wasting on being upset or any, and um, you have to control yourself and harness this energy into just being better, into into your time management, into um, you know he he used to be in the Singaporean army and he always used to tell me these stories about you know uh, standard operating procedures and again crisis management he called him he called it. And um, I think that's been one of my most influential, like he's, he's probably been the most influential person in my career because at a young age and everything, he, he cared about me and he cared about what happened to me and how, how my career was getting developed. And I'm infinitely thank, thankful for that. Amazing. We're going to take a quick musical break, play a song from the archives, and then we're going to be back with Anna Castro of Lengua Madre talk about her adventure to New Orleans and making this a home here on Snacking Tunes on HRN.
So you did your time in New York. You did your time back in Mexico City. What brought you to New Orleans first? So New Orleans has always been like in in the back burner, so to speak, for me. Um, you know, at the beginning, my dad got married to an Argentinian woman who was working for an oil company. Yeah, I know, like horrible. <laughs> Here in New Orleans, and uh, my sister, my younger, well, they have a kid together, so I have a, a little brother called Oscar, and my younger sister, Lydia, wanted to be with Oscar for, you know, for him growing up with a sibling pretty much. So she moved to New Orleans and attended um, the University of New Orleans. And she was always like, dude, like you're alone in like in New York. Why don't you come down to New Orleans? There's so many good restaurants. There's so many good, there's so much good food. Like, I really think you could like make a living, like, you know, a good life here. And I would be like, ah. until finally I, I, you know, I just like gave in and I was just like, you know what? You're right. I am really just tired of living in New York. Everything is so hard. I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I still sometimes miss it. And um, I miss the... Sometimes I I miss the place, but I often don't miss the person that I was when I lived in New York. Uh, you know, I was, I was young. Um, you know, absolutely no boundaries with my work. Uh, right now, I'm a, a much, much happier, healthier balance place with it. And New Orleans got a big part of to do with that, you know, the big easy, right? So things move a little slower. And um, I found a, I was very lucky. And I found a very supportive group of people when I moved here. And um, I was able to make really, really good, kind friends. Uh, and yeah, I made it, I made it at home here. Uh, I fell in love with someone. I, I fell in love with the city, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I love it here. It's the most at home I've ever felt in my life outside of Mexico City. It's incredible. So you ended up at Coquette and worked your way through there. Uh, take us up through your culinary adventure here till you got the idea of opening Lengua Madre. Where'd you cook? Who'd you cook with? Uh, in New Orleans, actually. New Orleans, I've only ever cooked at Coquette. Uh <laughs> I, that's the only job I've ever had in New Orleans. I was there, and then I helped uh, Mike open a restaurant that it was housed in the space that is now Lingua Madre, Italia, which was forced to close down with the pandemic and everything. And, um, you know, once we kind of like, uh, and after some like structural changes, um, the space was there, but, you know, it needed a project and, Mike Stolfitzis was kind and cool enough, honestly, to just trust me with it and just be, just like back me up and be like, hey, do you want a restaurant? And I was like, hell yeah. I was like, only if you help me. Because <laughs> uh, that sounds like a really, really difficult thing to do. But yeah, I mean, I have an idea. I have a, I have an idea of what I would like to do. So if you want to hear me out and it's something that we can align on, like, hell yeah, let's do it. And that's kind of how it started. But um, yeah, the restaurant got started getting like inceptioned probably late last year. And what is the core idea behind it? The core idea behind it is to tell us to tell a story through food. Um, you know, I've always I've always been a big storyteller. I also talk a lot, and <laughs> I always 
thought that maybe my career was going to take me towards food writing. But maybe like, you know, I feel like I somehow found a way to tell the story, but through food. So I tell a story of how I was raised, where I went, uh, what like, you know, kind of like makes me tech and uh, but all viewed through a very personal lens. So, you know, I struggle with the word authenticity. Uh, I don't like to use it at all. I don't think my food is authentic Mexican. Um, I feel like that that word like leads to a lot of confusion. And because what is authentic Mexican? You know, like what what, what does that what does that even mean? So, in the words of a good friend and a chef that I look up to immensely, Fermin Nunez from Suerte in Austin, he always says it's Mexican because I made it. <laughs> so, you know, without a very clear idea, I almost like gave myself permission to kind of just do whatever I wanted. And, um, you know, I tell, there's a dish in which I tell the story of like my grandpa's favorite lunch, but I reinterpreted through a more modern, more contemporary lens, you know, what's my, my grandpa used to love eating, um, Mexican, you know, like the Mexican red rice. Mm -hmm. He used to love to eat it with a fried egg on top. And I just simply make a very delicious Harlem tomato fondue, fold it into Louisiana long grain rice, mounted with butter and serve it topped with cured egg yolks and shaved botarga on top. Mm. And it's fantastic, but it only works. It only works, obviously, when the tomatoes are at the peak of its season. You know, so I only I can only have that dish for like, you know, maybe a month and a half on the menu. And then the tomatoes start getting weird. And then just like, I'm like, you know, it's like if it's if it's not, if the tomatoes aren't there, like the whole thing is just like it wouldn't work. Absolutely. And I think we have, we failed to mention that this is a, a fixed menu. This is not a la carte. And it makes so much more sense now hearing that this is a story that you're telling. You don't want people to order chapters two, nine, and the epilogue. They, they have to get, they have to get the whole book. <laughs> exactly. I also don't want people to like feel pressured and like experience like FOMO, you know, it's just like, Oh my God, like, do I get the fish or do I get the chicken? You know, it's like, I, I almost want you, I want you to get it all. I want you to have it all. And I want you to be a very curated experience from start to finish in which you're going to experience like, you know, absolutely everything I got, you know, and they're all going to, in my book, they're all hits, <laughs> but you can decide which one was your favorite. Um, in the spirit of snacky tunes. Yes. I've had had people ask for an encore of a dish or two. So like they ask for extra portions which is extremely, extremely humbling and extremely flattering. Um, but yeah, all the menus kind of designed like that. So each menu tells a little story of like my upbringing, a memory with a friend or my cousins, my grandpa, may he rest in peace. Uh, yeah, everything is just, it's just very nostalgic. I I think I somehow, somehow found a way to like... Um, introduce nostalgia as an ingredient in my cooking and it like it just like warms my heart and like you know sometimes I think about like my grandpa my uncle again who also passed away two years ago under some tragic circumstances and like you know I'm always kind of like this one's for you I go no no not really. I'm, I'm, I have a really hard time crying. Everybody in my family criticizes me from it. And by everybody, I mean my two sisters. Um, no, grief is a strange thing, you know? Like, it, like, hits you sometimes when you're, like, 
in the middle of like a traffic jam in like the Mississippi, like on the Mississippi River Bridge, <laughs> listening to a song that like I, that's that's kind of like how it happens to me. Like sometimes I listen to, I can actually tell you a song. Um, the Eye in the Sky by the Alan Parsons Project was my one of my uncle's favorite songs. And one time it came up in my shuffle, and I was just like stuck in traffic, and I started crying. So grief, grief is strange. It like, yeah, it like pops up without any fair warning. <laughs> the other great side to your story is your cocktail menu and the drinks that you serve. Uh, who put that together and what is the story there? So the cocktail menu is all uh, Mexican spirits. Um, and it, it was put together by my really good friend, Carlos Quinones, who um, was a bar manager at Coquette and now is the bar manager over at um, the very beautiful property, the Columns Hotel. And um, he collaborated with me to and with my with a, a friend of mine called um, Justin, who is our bartender at Lengua, and they just put together this menu that is to me, like you know, it's like there's nothing like it in New Orleans because it's like. There's no, we don't really have like a bottle of gin or whiskey. Everything is Mexican. Yeah, we have gin, but it's Mexican gin. Yeah, we have whiskey, but it's Mexican corn whiskey <laughs> and uh, and so on, you know. So I think it's a little daring, you know, to be like, oh, what, you, you want Sazerac, right? Yeah, no, I don't have that. Sorry. But, you know, I think with the structure of the restaurant, we can be a little, um, you know, we can do things like that and have fun like that. And again, extremely lucky because it's been very well received and it's been embraced. So I'm over the moon, just like happy and lucky and honored that people are being receptive to this idea. Or at least they were for the three weeks that the restaurant was open. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it's such a different type of cuisine and approach to be served in New Orleans, I, I can imagine. Uh, when you started serving food, it seemed like every single chef or culinary friend was just there within the first week. And then yes. I made <laughs> my, my reservation. So you've got good food, good drinks, uh, a trusting partner. One of the other elements that you have touched on is your staff and that you could not have done without them at Summer Friends. Um, when I met you in Lafayette, it was your sister who took me in. Who makes up your staff and, and how have they played such a crucial role to the success of Lengua Madre? Well, you know, it's, I think this is actually a Silicon Valley term, which I kind of hate to quote, but it's like, isn't it like something like they put the t-shirt on? Like everybody's got the Lengua Madre t-shirt on. Everybody believes in the project. Everybody believes in, um, in me. And I, in turn, believe in them, in every single one of them. And it's just like, how can I put this? Like, it's a very small team. So with my general manager, myself, and the rest of the team, we are only nine people. And like, that's it. That's all it takes. One bartender, one host, one dishwasher, two line cooks, two servers. Myself and the general manager. Like, that's it. So it's such a little, it's like a very tight-knit team, you know? And... um they trust me and and I take that trust how it is, which is a huge responsibility. And um, I'm also just allowed 
myself to be very vulnerable with them and to be honest in my communication with them. And again, just like one more time, extremely lucky that it's being well received and um, very honored to have every single one of them go through the doors of that restaurant and try to like make my vision, their vision, you know? It's like, I, I'm, I'm all about collaboration. I'm all about like, there's, we, we're human beings are by nature, like social beings, you know, like people that think that they can do everything on their own are absolutely delusional. Like, I never want to be that person. I have so much help from everyone and I'm still tired all the time. I could not imagine trying to go at it alone. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm extremely lucky. That's very, very lucky. I'm very, very blessed to have everyone in my team. And, you know, that's why right now, like we were saying, like having the restaurant be closed down for um, the hurricane and the, the damage that our building took for what it's almost been six weeks right now. It's been, it's been terrible because I have to like come in and like look at my staff and just tell them like, okay, guys, we're going to do this pop-up here. And like, let's go, you know, <laughs> we're all like in exile, but they've all stuck around, which is insane. I mean, you know, um, two of my staff members got uh, displaced because of the storm and couldn't come back. But, but you know, I completely understand. Uh, sometimes that's what happens. But, um, and I still, you know, I, I still miss them and I wish they, they could have come back. But I understand everybody has different life paths. Absolutely. One thing we have not touched on is the fact that you have been a James Beard nominated rising chef and you also got a mentor grant as well how do these two acknowledgements or uh these two acknowledgements change you and and help shape your cooking mm, honestly like they let's start with the first one which was the james beard one uh that one was really funny actually so it was i was 29 years old turning 30 it was my birthday, and or the day before my birthday, and we all went out to one of my favorite restaurants called Margie's Grill, right? A bunch of my friends. Actually, one of the people at that table, her name is Fabiana Jackson, and she's one of my best friends. And she gave me a greeting. She gave me a gift and a little greeting card that said, my future James Beard Award nominee, uh, you know, have the happiest birthday, so excited for this new decade. Lots of beautiful sentiments, right? Uh, and the next day I got a call that I was nominated for, <laughs> for the rising star. And I was like, like, there's, there's just, there's just no way this is happening. And, um, you know, like kind of like taking it back to my staff, that a woman is the, the hostess at, at Lingua Madre. So it's just like, uh, it fills me with joy that the first, the, the, the person that everybody meets when they walk through the door is my literally this woman that like called it a day before it happened. You know, I said like, I would like to have a James Beard nomination before the time I'm 40 or something like that. Ah, that'd be nice. But you know, like I never like, I think nothing changed for me with the James Beard nomination, at, at least for me personally on how I cook or anything. If anything, I, I got a little bit on my head and like, it like put a, an immense amount of pressure. I, it, the nomination didn't put the pressure. I put the pressure on myself just because I, I suffer from like high anxiety <laughs> and uh, but um, 
it didn't change much because I never got into cooking with that as a goal. And I'm just kind of like, I'm, you know, honored, of course. Um, again, very humbled and very lucky to have been in that list. And with obviously with all my peers there too, you know, like some of the names on that list, like Chef Kuami and Jonathan Yao, um, Alicia Ellens, which I still keep in touch with some of, keep in touch with some of them, you know, Jesse Ido and uh, Alexander Hong of Sorrel in San Francisco, you know, some of them have Michelin stars. Some of them have, you know, it's, to me, it's just like, whoa, I can't believe my name is up there with all these real badass guys. Um, so, but it puts things into perspective because, you know, I don't consider myself mm-hmm. unique or um, in any shape or form. I think I just got lucky. There's thousands of people that work as hard as me, if not harder, that like don't have a James Beard like nomination. And I honestly, I think it's just time and place and luck. And I'm thankful for that. And um, as it comes to the dedication also, my dad says it has to do a lot with dedication, but that's what he says. <laughs> and as it comes to the mentor grant, that one really did truly change my life and the way that I cook and everything, which I'm happy because I think that's their goal. <laughs> uh, I had an opportunity to go cook at a restaurant that I've admired from afar for many, many years. Uh, named Relay in Copenhagen. Um, and I was there under Chef Jonathan Tam, a chef that I've also admired for a long time. And I learned so much. Actually, I've modeled Lengua Madre after a couple of things that I, I learned there. Um, I, got the, I got offered by the mentor grant an opportunity to go to Noma. And although Noma is like, obviously, a beautiful, unique, uh, just very... How can I put this? What was the word I'm looking for? To me, intimidating project. <laughs> I thought I was like, well, you know, if I choose Noma, I don't know if I'm going to be able to learn anything from Noma and then bring it back to New Orleans with me. With me. And that's why I was dead set on Relay, which is a small restaurant um, with a set tasting menu or pre-fee. And yeah, I mean, for example... I took away how the chefs and all the cooks and everything, they, they're very involved in service and they run dishes to tables. They're completely versed on the pairings and everything. So just like a very unified team. And that really distills into such a good energy, like just like a true and sincere mentality of teamwork. And I took that to heart and I studied it and I took notes on it and I've observed it and I was a part of it. And I brought it back with me because that's what we do at Lingua Madre. You know, the server station where like all the um, all the silverware plate where everything is, it's inside of the kitchen. So we're all in constant communication with each other. We all in the kitchen, including myself, go through um, through dining room training with our general manager Claire and she, um, you know, she teaches us how to properly clear a table, how to drop, how to um, just the steps of service. So it's important to me, and I make all the servers and everyone 
be involved in how a dish is prepared. Some of them even like help. I, mean, I know it's a small thing, you know, but some of them like know and help me like finish dishes on the pass. And they, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm back here cooking. Yeah, you got it. You know, shave the bochaga and the cured egg. You can flake salt and run it. You got it. And they're all completely comfortable with it. So I think that helps a lot on that team mentality that we got going on. That's how mainly that influenced me. Lastly, uh, you described food as nourishment, but also a form of expression. When people finish their first meal or 10th meal at Lengua Madre and close the, the novel that you have shared with them, what do you want them to feel and what do you want them to take away and think about one week, 10 weeks, 100 weeks later about the meal they had? Empathy. That's what I want them to feel. You know, I, 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 want to, I want for people, and I've always said this, I want people to feel how it is to be someone else or to have, just to have a different life experience, you know, to walk in someone else's shoes. It's important to me, you know, being Mexican, like American, Mexican, Mexican. <laughs> I mean, I'm only American because I was born in the U.S. And like my cultural identity lies entirely, completely and, uh, you know, just in being Mexican. And um, yeah, I just want people, I just want people to, to feel, I just want people to feel almost taken care of and loved, but in a different way that they've ever experienced too. It's a tall ask. But I, achievable, 100%. I think it like depends on the person, you know. Sometimes there's people that are just like, oh my God, it was so good. It's so delicious. Like everything was fantastic. There's people that also maybe didn't get a course or two. And like, all I can always say is like, I'm all about honest feedback. Like the one, like the one thing I, like, if I could ask is just like a true friend would tell me like, Hey, I, that needed salt or like that. I, I miss this dish. Like we talk about it. Like I always want to talk about it. I always want to explain myself. Apparently it's because I'm a Pisces or something. Someone told me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Snacky Tunes. Uh, it was truly a joy to have you here. Um, how can people find you? How can they learn about when the restaurant reopens? How do they uh, make a reservation? So we got a date. Uh, we are reopening on next Friday, October 15th. For real this time. <laughs> Third, yeah. Uh, we are on Resi on our website, lenguamadrenola.com. And our hours are, we're closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. Hours of service are from 5 to 10 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and from 5 to 9 p.m. on Sundays. And that's Amazing. that's us. Amazing. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break, play another song from the archives, and we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on HRN.
This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca, helping you to plan your next getaway. Ithaca has waterfalls and wineries, art and theater, outdoor recreation, and family fun. The area is famous for its glacier-carved gorges, co-op-run businesses, and cultural influences from Cornell University and Ithaca College. Plus, you can't beat the beauty of Cayuga Lake, the largest of the Finger Lakes. Beyond 150 waterfalls and some of the region's best hiking trails, Ithaca is cider. The area is well known for its local cideries, which are leading the way in America's cider revival. You can hear from the region's cider makers directly on HRN series Hardcore. There's something really special about Ithaca's climate for cultivating delicious apples steeped in history and terroir. Let Visit Ithaca help you plan your next trip to this hub of food, drink, culture, and agritourism. Home of New York's craft cider, I love New York. Get started at visitithaca.com. Now it's time for the live music. I think I got it. Senor Rubinos. Boom. We heard you during warm-up and your voice was great. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Who you are? Did you enjoy the pizza? I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. And, oh, uh, 84. Worst traffic. <laughs> Come on, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not so pleasurable. Are you a Whalers fan? Am I a what? Whalers? Whalers? Not really. I do get a little nostalgia, f- nostalgia from seeing anyone wearing a, a jersey. I've but... seen two or three guys with Hartford Whaler tattoos. <laughs> what? I know. I was like, that is commitment. I was like, you may have been six when they were last a hockey team. Uh, so you're from Hartford. Mm-hmm. I live in Brooklyn and uh, I make music. And my first record, uh, Magic Tricks, just came out. Uh, what was it like to put to make your first record? Now, are, are these songs that you've been carrying with you for years? Yeah, yeah, I've been writing music uh, for a while, and some of these songs I wrote like six years ago, and others I wrote uh, recently. And uh, I co-produced the record with uh, my drummer and uh, co-producer Marco Buccelli, and uh, we made it with a lot of love in Greenpoint. So it was a lot of fun. Do the sound? Can you tell the difference between a song that you wrote six years ago and a song you wrote a few weeks ago? Can I tell the difference? Not, I mean, could the listener tell the difference of like, do they sound so sonically different? Because no, it's been... I don't think so. So you, you found your style. It's like... not like uh, old cheese in the refrigerator. <laughs> it's just music. So you can't smell like there's no smell on it. That's like, oh, wow. That was unless I wrote it in like the 60s or something. But I'm not that old. So oh, yeah, this track doesn't smell yet. Just put it on the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, it's that, that's that stanky track. Yeah. Uh, so how would you describe your music? Uh, I say that I write songs. I find it really hard to describe it, and I'm I'm trying to work on that. So hopefully next time I see you, I'll be able to give you a better answer. All right. Well, let's hear one, and then maybe okay. we can describe it. Or the viewers, I'm sorry, the listeners can write in. The viewers yeah. can write in. It's like a Havarti or a Gouda they can send or in, a blue cheese. They'll send in a, a pigeon carrier. Yeah. So what's the first song you have? Uh, this song doesn't have a title yet because I just wrote it. Um, I'm still working on it. Awesome. Exclusive. Yeah. Exclusive. All right. Here we go on Snacky Tunes. Like a little lost cat up in the tree, like a lonely dog without a flea, like a last standing villager on his knee. What you feeling? What you feeling's all over me. Tell 
Nice. Woo. Powerhouse. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea how to describe that. We'll, we'll just put that <laughs> in the uh, the awesome power power song. <laughs> um, so earlier we were uh, talking about worst gigs ever, and we we're wondering if you wanted to share a moment of not greatness of <laughs> being part of this whole musical profession. I think once I got asked to move my car in the middle of a set. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, I, I'm going to let you finish. But, uh. They're like, yeah, um, this is really great, um, but you got to, like, you know, your van's a little bit kind of, like, in the way. Like, That's can you... Awesome. Like, did you have just, to get... I got to... Yeah, I had to, like, get off and, like, move the car. Oh, my God. Yeah. You got to get that wow. rhythm section just working a groove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While you like while I'm out, go around the. <laughs> the uh, Were you able to retain the audience? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was it was laughed off. It was fine, but it was it was a little cray. Oh we'll God. be back there, but I've never. Heard I don't that. think I've yeah. ever heard yeah. that. That's, that's a first. Uh, <laughs> that's a first. Course, yeah. Uh, so when writing this, uh, you know, what's your what was your practice of of writing this album? Did you have certain food that you like to eat? Certain places you like to go? What was the mindset that you had, you got yourself into to write these songs? I was pretty much in my basement for months and then at a studio mixing. So uh, I had a lot of takeout. There was a lot of dumplings. I like dumplings. Nice. Um, What's your favorite type of dumpling? Uh, pork and chive. Who got, who got you through the writing sessions? You can name check them. Who got me through the writing sessions? Yeah, which, which like, dumplings? Sounds like Vanessa's. Uh, yeah. I pork actually, and chive. Well, Vanessa's is really good. Um, I also went to Snacky. In the oh yeah. yeah! Oh yeah! It's kind of like my which has been go-to. there for forever. Mm-hmm. It's kind like, of the, like an awesome, just an awesome go-to spot because they're open late, they're cheap, they're good, they're friendly. It's like it's yeah, really good yeah. Stuff. yeah, yeah. That was for emphasis. And they've just kind of like like been around for such a long time. And like, are you were a, there before? Are you a steamed or you were pan fried? Steamed, definitely steamed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I like a good pan fry. I like that crisp on the bottom. It's that crunch. It's yeah, that crunch. Alternate, yeah, I like to mix it up. Yeah. Not necessarily best for the heart, but you know, that crunch in the bottom, that brown just kind of makes it really, really nice. So, and uh, now living in Brooklyn, how often are you on the road? And when you're on the road, uh, you said you had, you know, you write with your drummer. Like, is it full band? Is it solo? I play as a duo with my drummer, Marco. Uh, and uh, so I play keyboards and uh, loops. Uh, like vocal samples and he plays drums and we're on the road pretty often um how, how do you guys get along we get along really well so that helps what's no, this, what's no this? band tension not really no what's the what's the uh drive situation you got a van you got a car i have a van i have like a church van basically it's like an ex-church van um, what's a like 12 passenger growing, oh one of those white yeah uh, growing up jewish church. i don't that the reference is lost on me excommunicated from the church no yeah. you have you have a uh, <laughs> jewish minivans Oh, okay, yeah, I got those. Y'all have we, minivans, yeah. No, when we did that tour, we were in a minivan. We were. In a minivan. We were in a minivan. Great way to tour. Yeah, it was. Uh, they really know. I mean, if they're gonna fit a family in there, you can fit a band of and a tour manager in there. Mm. Really. So, so now that you're in Brooklyn, do you miss Hartford at all? Not really. No, no I've been gone for a while. There's not much there, other than insurance, and I'm, <laughs> I'm good. You're good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got it. Um, do you want to rip us another tune? Sure. Yeah. Do we have time for like just one more? Yeah. Two? How about uh, you want to do? Yeah. What do you want to do? Too, but it okay. Yeah. Let's let's whatever. let's get. We'll we'll have you play. Then we'll tag you out. And we'll let you get another one in. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, 
Okay. Does one have a name? Um, no, this one's new too. Oh. I, you can call it Palo, which okay. is like. I'm saying um, Palo goes to dance. Uh, give him uh, a good taste in his uh, palate. I'm not saying. And then I'm, then I'm saying, uh, you promised to get me a good job. You promised to get me a good job. Um, I'm asking you if I should come today or last Tuesday to get interviewed. <laughs> Pretty good? <laughs> Sounds beautiful. beautiful. Um, is that you doing the backing tracks as well? Yeah. Nice. Uh, so I want to make sure we get one more song in. So... Uh, you want to tell people what you have coming up? Are you going to be uh, going on tour for the record? Where they, can they come see you? Where can they buy it? Sure. All the nuts and bolts and everything. Yeah, so my record's called Magic Tricks, and it's out on Bada Bang Records based here in Brooklyn. Um, and awesome cover. Thank you. <laughs> Is that you? That's not me. That's the photographer that um, started posing naked for this photo because it wasn't working. So he's like, I'm just going to do this. And <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> and so I'm the photographer, no, technically. but yeah. A little role reversal. Uh-huh. And uh, so the record's out. Um, it's available. You can listen to it on Spotify or buy it on iTunes or wherever you want. And um, you can check my live dates at sendyrubinos.com. We're going to go 
uh, head out to the West uh, a little bit uh, this month in August. And uh, we have a date coming up at the Brooklyn Museum, too, for their audio oh, nice. file season. Let oh. me just do it for our listeners. That's a X-E-N-I-A, Rubinos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so they know. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, so Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, all that. All that. Mm-hmm. How's your Instagram game? How's my game? Yeah. I'm working on it. It's, <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm new to the game, so I need some tips. I feel like I'm just... I'm kind of sideswiped by the whole video th- thing. Oh yeah, like you got, like you signed on and you had to master two things. Now. Yeah, and I'm kind of like, I don't know, maybe I should just Vine it, and maybe that's Is that Instagram where... video thing catching on. Are people doing that? No, I, some people are. I think people who do Vine are really serious about their like six second craft work. I'm very serious about Vine. Really, I'm, I'm very angry that Instagram did the video. It's I not mean, as good. Most people, it's are. not as good. It's yeah. too long. Like I don't want to watch a 15 second video. It's too yeah. long. It doesn't loop. Yeah. It doesn't loop. I saw because I saw some music <laughs> things. Some guy. It was a staff pick on Vine. This guy who did like a six second loop rap about like gummy money. Oh yeah. My name is Nicholas, and this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like and it just looped, mm-hmm. and it was so infectious. It was so good, <laughs> yeah. and it had like six hundred thousand views. It was like, I was like, and that was the that was the first time I, on Vine I went, okay, it's like sort of more of an art form than mm-hmm. like Instagram's just like, well, shit, we're gonna get, we don't want to lose people. Yeah. That being said, I don't know if I want to set up a whole Vine account. <laughs> I'm missing out. You're missing out. How's your Vine game? I do a lot of like comedy skits. Okay, on the Vine, like, six- very very. Structure. A lot of cockroaches. Scripted. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of cockroaches. Yeah. Well, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be checking out your Instagram feed. No, maybe we'll send some we'll, tips. We'll send some tips. We'll do it offline. Though. Yeah. If there's like, a, if there's a good one in particular, you know, if you give me kudos for that and I'll try to, you know, I mean, we're easy. I heard that. I heard, that the, I heard is... that the like rule of thumb is that if you, if a, a photo of yours gets liked by 10% of your followers, that's like the direction you should go in. Okay. So right. that's a, that's a pro tip. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's a pro tip. Is that her actual tip? Yeah. Anyway, wanted to take us out with one more song. All Thanks right. for listening. Thank you to all the guests. Thanks, Mom, for showing up. My pleasure. Yeah. Aww. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you guys next week. Yeah, and if you get to Roberta's, get the olives. Yeah. yeah. They're on fire. And look out for Curse of Olive Oil. Coming out. <laughs> Coming to a, uh, an after hours near you. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be really funny if, like, next to the DJ booth, there was, like, an olive oil with some, like, ripped bread and samples. Yeah. I'm down. Family yeah. style. Get, you get hungry. It's, it's late, it's late morning. night. You're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. All right. What, what's this last one? Does this one have a title? It does. Yeah. It's called Hair Receding. Okay. And it's off of my record, Magic is Tricks. It, is that a dig at me? It is. <laughs> it's, a, it it's okay. Is. No, it's not. It's, hey, I, it's, it's a friend of my eyebrows. All right. Here we go. We'll be back uh, next week. Another good show. Uh, have fun. Greg, have fun in LA. I will. All right. Take us out. <laughs>
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.